Hello, everybody. Welcome to another session of Chew on the Word. You know, I look forward to sharing this with you every week, and my prayer is that you will be blessed, as I am thoroughly blessed studying and preparing this for you. This week, I want to share with you on one of the most important statement, if not the most important statement, Jesus ever made. And it's probably one of the most important verse in the New Testament, if not in the entire Bible. It is on the greatest commandment, taken from Mark chapter twelve, verse twenty-nine to verse thirty-four. I've entitled my sharing this week on the all-consuming passion of love for God. If you and I grasp this in all its totality, believe me, it will change the entire trajectory of our lives. And I just want to say to you that what I'm going to share with you today is heavy-duty stuff, huh? and I don't apologize for it because it is on the word. So let me read Mark chapter twelve, verse twenty-nine to thirty-four. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked Jesus, "Of all the commandments, which is the most important?" The most important one, answered Jesus, is this: "Hear, O Israel." The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Four times. The second is this: love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. The man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse thirty-four. When Jesus heard that he had answered wisely, he said to him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." And from then on, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. There are two main headings I want to analyze this very important statement. First of all, the question, then the answer. Clearly, I will spend more time on the answer. But first, a question. There are three things about the question and the questioner. First of all. It is a very common question. It is not a unique one. Why? Because the rabbis and the religious scholars of that day were debating all the time of all the six hundred and thirteen commandments, which is the most important. And so they will argue and they will debate. So it is a very common question. Secondly, it is a good question. And it is a genuine one. 
See, in any question, there are two considerations, basically. Number one, is it a good question or is it a bad question? It has to do with meaning. But more important and equally important than this, in any question, is, is it a genuine question or does the questioner just ask the question for the sake of asking? It has to do with motive. In this case, it is a good question and it is a genuine question. How do I know? Look at the answer. Look at Jesus' response to the response of the questioner at the end in verse 32 to verse 34. Well said, teacher. You are right in saying this. God is one. There is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And look at the, look at the response of Jesus. When Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, Jesus then said to this teacher, You are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, this teacher of the law was very close to becoming a Christian, to accepting Jesus. Did he accept Jesus? We don't know. But clearly, it was a genuine question seeking for a genuine answer. Thirdly, about this question, it's not only a common question, not only is it a good and a genuine question, very important. It is a passion question, not an intellectual one. In other words, when the teacher of the law asked Jesus, he was not looking for an intellectual answer. It was a passionate question. How do I know that? Because the answer of Jesus is passion. Love the Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It is a passion answer to a passion question. My pastor, what is passion? Well, passion is what you set your heart upon so much that you and I are prepared to die for it. Passion, can I repeat, is what you and I set our heart upon so much, care for so much, concern us so much, that it drives us, it propels us so much that we are prepared to die for it. Well, ask any young adult who is in love. He will tell you what passion is. Ask any ardent golfer. He will tell you what passion is. You know, the last week of Jesus' life is called Passion Week. Why? Because Jesus was going to his death. Passion is something that invokes inside of you, not only a feeling or a sentiment, something that drives you that you're, that you're prepared to pay the cost for it. You know, there was a beggar in New York City that uh, 
everyone passes by, or not everyone, at least most people, passed by the beggar and gave him one dollar. And so this passerby was so curious that he went near to that beggar and he found out the reason why. Because in front of the beggar was this statement, give me one dollar or I vote Trump. It pressed a passion button. So people gave one dollar. Passion is something that drives you. So this is a passion question. Now we look at the answer. Hear me, hear me very well, because if we grasp it fully, one of the most important statements that Jesus would ever make, and it will transform your life and transform my life. Jesus' answer actually is in three parts, but one answer. So let's examine it carefully. Told you heavy-duty stuff, huh? All right. So let's examine it carefully. Or let me read again the answer. Three parts. One answer. So Jesus answered in verse 32. Sorry, in verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Third part. Let's now look at the first part. Actually, the answer of the first and second part of Jesus is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to verses 5. Let, let us go to the original verse that Jesus quoted. Remember, when Jesus quoted these verses from the Old Testament, the questioner knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Why? Because he was a teacher of the law. He thought that Jesus would go to one of the 613 commandments. No. Jesus went back to the Torah and quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. And it's this. Hear, O Israel, first part, the Lord is one. It is a Shema. The whole thing is called a Shema from the Hebrew word here, Shema. Do you know that up to today, every Hebrew man, every Hebrew woman, even a Hebrew child above 12 years old, recited this Shema twice a day. You know, I in one of my trips to Israel, I was in the lift in Jerusalem. And then uh, two ladies came who were clearly uh, workers in that hotel, came in into the lift. And I overheard one lady speaking to the other lady. Ah, yeah, you know, uh, I have not recited the Shema today. Wow. I knew that they were supposed to recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one twice a day. Do you know that up to today, this Shema is recited and read in the synagogue service before they start every day? 
is so important about Hiroshima? It talks about the exclusivity of God. The one God. It is plural, the one is plural and yet singular. It is the same word one, God, one that is mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. The two shall become one. Plural yet singular. It is also the same verse uh, those of you from SIBKL would know that as we are doing Nehemiah now, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. All the people assemble as one man in the square before the water gate. All the people assemble as one man. Plural yet singular. The same in Judges chapter 20 verse 1 when all the 12 tribes of of Judah assemble as one man. So in other words, it is reference to the triune God. 3 in one it's very important to the hebrew mind hear o israel the lord your god is one also implicit to the hearing is obedience in the hebrew mindset obedience is implicit in the hearing so they just don't only hear 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 like us hear hear and you forget no In the Hebrew mindset, when you hear, you obey. So this is the first part. But hear what? Obey what? This is the second part of the greatest commandment, and this is the crux of that commandment. Let me go back now to Mark, chapter twelve. Verse thirty. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus saying, "Ah, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, love the Lord your God." It is not your wife's God. You don't love your wife's God. Your your spouse's God. You don't love your pastor's God. It's addressed to you, my friend. You love the Lord, your God. Four times, all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. What is missing? Body. Why are the body not mentioned? Ah, eh? because if you love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind. All your soul, all your strength, your body automatically follow, ma. Your body automatically will follow your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Just to remind you, ah, uh, it's a passion question. Therefore, this is a passion answer, and involves love. Let me amplify a little bit more on love and obedience because it is integral. Here, obey is integral. The key is this: if you truly love God, believe me, you will want to obey Him. 
Can I repeat that? If you and I truly love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all of our strengths, obedience follows implicitly. But love us. You got to love first, not obey first. Why? Because you can obey and yet not love, you know. How do I know? Ask any battered wife. I obey you, but I don't love you. He'll tell you. But when we love, it's a delight to obey. When you and I love God, we will want to obey Him because it's our delight. So you say to me, Pastor, how can I love God? How can I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my soul? How can I do that, Pastor? I want to, but I, I cannot. It's fair. Not only cannot, I'm afraid to. Why? Because I'm so fearful to love God too much. I got to do this, sacrifice this, right? I will lose out, Pastor. I will lose out. I love God, Pastor. But I cannot love God too much. Can you tell me how? I'm glad you asked. And this is the most important thing you will ever learn tonight. And it's this. The key is this. When you and I make Jesus Christ our source and our resource of all our love, then we will love everything else and everything else right. Can I repeat that? When you and I resolve, determine, intentionally make Jesus Christ our source and resource of all our love, everything else follows. Believe me. You make Jesus Christ your first love, you will then love everything right. Can I encourage you, my friend? Don't allow anything or anyone to steal and replace and diminish your first love for Jesus. Because when we love Him first, Believe me, everything else follows. Your family, your children, your work, yourself. And you will love everything even more. Let me give you an illustration or an exercise, if I may. Can you just imagine yourself draw a heart, a picture of a heart? Can you do that? A heart, okay? and leave the centre of your heart blank. Put a question mark there. And I'm going to ask you this. If you were only allowed to put one object, one thing only, or even one person, it doesn't matter, 
into that blank space at the center of your heart, what would it be for you? Some of you put your children. Some of you put your family. Some of you put yourself. Some of you put your work. And even some of you put your ministry. Don't do that. When you put Jesus in that blank space in the center of your heart, you're making Jesus your first love. And believe me, everything else then follows rightly. Some of you have heard of C.T. Studd, who was one of the Cambridge Seven, brilliant, bright student who played cricket for England when he was a student in Cambridge. He was supposed to marry his fiancée named Priscilla. And you know that on her, his wedding day, he wrote a note to his wife-to-be and asked her to sign it at the bottom of the note if he was to go through with that wedding, that marriage. And the note is this. My dear Jesus, you are dearer to me than what my husband will ever be. Sign, Priscilla. Is Jesus dearer to you than anybody else or anything else? C.T. Stutt knew that if Priscilla loved Jesus right, Priscilla will love him right. If Priscilla loved Jesus wrongly, Priscilla will love him wrong. And both of them went to China and served the Lord together as husband and wife. Can I encourage you, my friend, Love Jesus first and foremost. And we will love everything else after that. That is the first and greatest commandment. And here is the third part. Remember three parts in one? The third part of Jesus' answer of the greatest commandment follows naturally as an outcome and outflow of the first two parts. You see, when we get the first two parts right, the greatness and the exclusivity of the one God, and we get that right, the theology and the doctrine of the Godhead, and then we love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, then naturally, as an outcome and an outflow, it oozes out, out of us. We will then become to love people. Wow! Let, let me close with something that will blow your mind. Because the question, therefore, many people ask me, Pastor, how do I love my neighbour? Well, 
let's go back to the original. Shall we do that? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And when I discovered this, it blew my mind, you know. It literally blew my mind because the conventional answer is when I love my neighbor, I serve them, I help the poor, I do good deeds, nothing wrong with this. But go back to the original answer in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Why? Because Jesus quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 18 to the teacher of the law. So the teacher of the law immediately knew what Jesus was saying. What does Leviticus 19, verse 18 says? And he gives you a clue on what it takes to love your neighbor. Let me read. Jesus quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 18. The whole verse. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. The whole context of loving your neighbor as yourself is in the context of forgiveness. Heavy duty stuff. We miss it. But if you go back and remember the teacher of the law, immediately he understood what teacher meant. When teacher says love, the Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself. It is to forgive. Don't bear grudge against anyone. That is the greatest expression of our love for one another. And let me conclude with this, my friend. Let me conclude with this. The whole commandment, the first and greatest commandment is modeled where? At the cross. Jesus will never tell you to do something that he himself had not done, you see. At the cross, Jesus loved God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strengths. And how does Jesus express his love for you and for me? By forgiving all our sins. By shedding his blood for you and for me. Jesus modeled that first and greatest commandment by what he did on the cross. So when you and I forgive someone, that is the greatest expression of your love to God. So let me close. In these 40 days, can we ask God to flood our hearts with love so that you and I can forgive? Hallelujah. Let me pray. Hallelujah, Father. Father, in Jesus' name, in these 40 days, we invite you, Lord, to work on the inside of us so that, Lord, at the end of these 40 days, God, we love you even more so that we can love you, Lord, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strengths, so that we can love you emotionally, we can love you intellectually, we can love you volitionally, and we can love you physically. With all the totality of our being, we love you, Lord. We love you, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. And out of that love, 
as an outflow, as an outcome. We love our neighbor. Yes, we do good things towards them. We support them. But more important, we forgive. We forgive. And so God made the love of God our Savior flood our soul with an all-consuming passion of love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we close tonight, I, I, I want all of us to worship the Lord. Would you do that? With a song that all of us know, I love you, Lord. But this time, with the additional lyrics that's composed by my second son, Christopher Chu, and those of you from SIBKL will know this song very well. So can I invite Pastor Isaac and his YA worship team to lead us in this wonderful song in response to what I've shared with you tonight. God bless you. And let's worship the Lord together. of my sweet Savior Come and flood your heart with joy Like a fresh and flowing river That your life will be restored Let the worries of tomorrow Wash away forevermore And the song that stays shall be I love you, Lord And I lift my voice To worship
be 